Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is December 11th, 2023, and I'm your skeptical host, Dennis Wren. The title of today's podcast is, Are You Ready for This? Pediatric Readiness of Emergency Departments. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Rachel Hatcliffe, who is a pediatric emergency medicine physician at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. Her research focuses on pre-hospital care of children with anaphylaxis. Dr. Hatcliffe, welcome to SGMPEDS. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Well, we have a lot to talk about and some very special guests joining us for this episode. So why don't we just jump straight into the case that you brought us? After your shift in the emergency department, the medical director pulls you aside. She says they've noticed a slight increase in the number of sick pediatric patients coming in recently, and it's been difficult to find a hospital to accept the ones who need admission. As a seasoned clinician, she wants your opinion and asks you, how prepared do you think we are in handling sick children, and how do you think we can improve? Now, back in August of 2022, we announced the start of SGM Peds for SGM Season 11. One of the key motivations for me in this collaboration was the recognition that we needed to get out of the ivory towers of academic pediatric emergency medicine centers, as most children are cared for outside of academic centers. So we wanted to spread the gospel of evidence-based medicine so that children get the best care based on the best evidence regardless of where they receive that care. But does that always happen? Are general emergency departments ready to care for children? Two previous studies conducted assessing the state of nationwide pediatric readiness occurred in 2003 and 2013. Today, we'll be covering the third installment. Pediatric readiness is important because it's associated with decreased mortality in ill and injured children. Now, before we get in too deep, I have to declare my own conflict of interest with this episode, which is that I am an Emergency Medical Services for Children, or EMSE, fellow. And this was a great experience, so I encourage all those interested to apply. Rachel, I am counting on you to keep me honest. Can you do that? I'll do my best, Dennis. All right. Rachel, what is the clinical question that we are asking today? So today we're looking at what was the state of pediatric readiness in emergency departments across the United States during the COVID-19 pandemic? And what's our reference? We're going to be looking at the article by Remick et al., National Assessment of Pediatric Readiness of U.S. Emergency Departments During the COVID-19 Pandemic, published in JAMA Network Open in July 2023. Let's move on to our peacock questions. What was the population included in this study? The population looked at ED leadership across the United States, including 3,647 readiness assessments representing 14.1 million annual pediatric ED visits. And they had excluded emergency departments that were not open 24 hours a day or seven days a week, veterans affairs, and prison hospitals. What was the intervention? It was a web-based open assessment questionnaire containing 92 questions. And was there a comparison? The comparison was previous pediatric readiness scores in 2003 and 2013. And let's talk a little bit about their outcomes. What was the primary outcome they were looking at? They looked at weighted pediatric readiness scores from a range of 0 to 100, as well as adjusted weighted pediatric readiness scores 
that excluded points for QI plans and pediatric emergency care coordinator positions, or PECs. And their secondary outcomes? They looked at changes in the weighted pediatric readiness scores, as well as evaluated factors associated with pediatric readiness. At the beginning of our show, I teased that we would have some very special guests joining us. And I'm excited to announce that we have not just one, not two, but three of the authors of the manuscript joining us on today's episode. They are all pediatric emergency medicine physicians and superstars. Dr. Remick is joining us from Dell Medical School at the University of Texas at Austin. She is the executive lead for the EMS for Children Innovation and Improvement Center. Dr. Hughes is joining us from the University of Utah Primary Children's Hospital. She is the co-principal investigator for the EMS for Children Data Center. And last but not least, Dr. Gaoshe Hill is joining us as the interim CEO of the Lundquist Institute for Biomedical Innovation at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, where she's also a professor of pediatrics and emergency medicine. She is nationally known for her work as an EMS researcher and educator. Doctors, welcome, and it is fantastic to have you all on the show and sharing your expertise and talking to us about your paper. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Dr. Gaoshe Hill, can you tell us what were your conclusions from this research? These data demonstrate improvements in key domains of pediatric readiness, uh, despite losses in the healthcare workforce, and that included the pediatric emergency care coordinators during the COVID-19 pandemic, and suggest organizational changes in emergency departments that can be implemented to maintain pediatric readiness. So this comprehensive assessment of all emergency departments found that the presence of PECs, or pediatric emergency care coordinators, quality improvement plans for children, and staffing the emergency department with board-certified emergency medicine or pediatric emergency medicine physicians were associated with higher pediatric readiness and provides an opportunity for all EDs to initiate these organizational changes that can enhance their pediatric capability. Moving on to our quality checklist. First question, did the study address a clearly focused issue? Yes. Did the authors use an appropriate method to answer their questions? Yes. While there are limitations in using a web-based survey to assess this, practically it would have been really difficult to send someone to all these sites in person. Do you think the cohort was recruited in an acceptable way? Yes. EMS for Children Data Center, or the EDC, sent this out, and the EMSC state partnerships helped identify the ED contacts, mostly nurse managers, to fill out the survey. Was the exposure accurately measured to minimize bias? Difficult to say in the study. Was the outcome accurately measured to minimize bias? Again, we were unsure on this question. Have the authors identified all important confounding factors? Mostly, yes. The assessment covered many areas, including administration, personnel, quality improvement, equipment, safety measures, and policies. Was the follow-up of the subjects complete enough? Yes. Many reminders were sent to different institutions, and a 70% response rate is quite impressive. How precise are the results? 
we felt like they were fairly precise among different institutions and compared to previous evaluations. Do you believe the results? Yes, we can totally see how cuts may have been made during the pandemic that affects pediatric readiness, given the large focus on the adult population during the pandemic. Can the results be applied to the local population? Yes, we've certainly seen the impact in our own area that the loss of pediatric inpatient availability and the lack of pediatric readiness in other emergency departments places a much larger burden on pediatric-specific centers and increases the need for transfers of these patients. Do the results of the study fit with other available evidence? Yes. Looking at other data, it feels like the trend in pediatric readiness and their effects on mortality can be seen in many other studies. And our final question, were there any financial conflicts of interest in terms of the funding of this study? I don't believe there are any conflicts of interest in this study. Let's talk results now. There were over 3,000 or 70.5% of emergency departments who responded to the survey. That represented 14.1 million annual pediatric emergency department visits. Now, the majority of those emergency departments treated fewer than 10 children per day and were mostly located in general hospitals and urban areas. Around three quarters were able to admit children in some capacity and 90% or so reported that there was a physician on site 24-7. And around 37% reported that they had someone in that pediatric emergency care coordinator role. Now, there's a lot of data in this article, so we're going to choose to highlight a few items. Rachel, what was the key result? The key result was that pediatric readiness scores actually decreased during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, This overall score does have some caveats. There were improvements in many domains, except the administration and coordination, which included the PEC or Pediatric Emergency Care Coordinator role. I will say that we noted that the Pediatric Emergency Care Coordinators often had to be redeployed during the pandemic for clinical care versus administrative functions. And that checks out. We were really short-staffed during the pandemic and still have those struggles. Can you give us some readiness scores, Rachel? The median weighted pediatric readiness score was 69.5. This score increased based on the volume of pediatric patients seen at that institution. When we look at the weighted pediatric readiness scores from 2013 to this most recent study, for the hospitals who participated in both years, we see a decrease from 72.7 to 70.5, with an IQR of 61.3 to 87.4. Okay, doctors, are you ready for my favorite section? Are you ready to talk nerdy? (laughs) Yeah, we don't know yet, but... (laughs) We hope so. (laughs) Okay, here we go. And Dr. Hatcliffe, do you want to start us off with our first question about assessment development? Absolutely. So it seems like much of this effort towards pediatric readiness was inspired by guidelines and policy statements from national organizations like the AAP, or American Academy of Pediatrics, ASEP, the American College of Emergency Physicians, ENA, the Emergency Nurses Association, and EMSC, the Emergency Medical Services for Children. When you were putting together the assessment, how did the expert panel decide how to weigh the assessment items? And what were the items that were weighted heavier? 
Wonderful. Thanks so much for that question. So first, I just would like to note that we are so fortunate to have this partnership with these national partners who have supported this work over time and who have recognized the importance of pediatric readiness. It's really given a lot of emphasis to this work, and we wouldn't have been able to do this without them. When we were putting the assessment items together, the items were given weighted scores using a modified Delphi process with a group of subject matter experts. The weighing process underwent several rounds before final scores were determined. Some of the things that were given a higher weight were things like the presence of a pediatric emergency care coordinator, and the national forum criteria were used when we did weight these items. They were based on importance for patient outcomes, scientific acceptability, feasibility, and usability. Additional considerations were whether or not the item could discriminate between those hospitals that committed to pediatric readiness versus others. Our second question for the authors is about the evolution of the assessment. Now, we mentioned before that this was the third assessment of pediatric readiness. The first survey sent out in 2003 by mail with a 29% response rate. The second survey sent out in 2013 and web-based with close to 83% response rate. And this second survey had 55 items. We know you've gone through multiple iterations of this assessment survey. And this time, the response rate was lower at 70.5%. What has changed in this most recent iteration? And what was added as the new assessment had 92 items? Were the items weighed differently in each iteration? So thanks for that question. There were several questions that were expanded or modified according to the newer version of the joint guidelines or the joint policy statement that was published in 2018. And so, for example, we expanded the assessment to include a focus on mental health and disaster preparedness questions and asked some more details about some of the pediatric-specific policies. Of the 88 scored items, 69 of those were comparable to the prior assessment, and others had been changed in some ways. However, the overall domains of the assessment and the total score for each domain did not change, so you can still compare domain scores over time. The 2021 assessment had also greater emphasis placed on the components of a process. Rather than simply stating that a process alone was in place, it asked for greater detail or granularity about those processes. As an example, in 2013, we asked, does your ED have a quality improvement plan that includes children? But in 2021, we asked more specific questions about that quality improvement plan, like do you have pediatric-specific measures or indicators Do you track those indicators? Do you develop improvement plans based on that? We also had greater emphasis on a few of the pediatric patient assessment questions related to pain assessment and monitoring, including mental status and respiratory, and a slightly greater emphasis on behavioral health and family-centered care. And Dr. Remick, it looks like you were actually able to capture data from most of the previous participating sites. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, We had approximately 2,800 or 2,825 emergency departments that completed the assessment in 2021 had also taken it previously during both of those time periods. And this is actually reported in our manuscript, but you can see it in table three. So that is incredibly impressive. The 70% plus response rate plus being able to actually get repeat people to fill out a survey because I'm Pretty sure my survey results are answered by less than 10%, and that's with a lot and a lot of harassment. (laughs) You know, I think the reason that we've had such a high response rate speaks to the fact that 
healthcare providers prioritize the needs of children and they recognize the opportunities that might exist to be able to enhance our systems to better address their emergency care needs. So I think this is not simply luck, but truly reflects the the dedication and interest of frontline healthcare providers. May I just add one other thing relative to engagement? It's really been an interesting process in getting engagement over time. We realize that each of the states have a state partnership coordinator. These have been quite engaged in terms of working with our national partners. And that engagement from the state level, as well as locally and regionally, really helped us get a high response rate. Our third question for you is about the ED leadership. Now, the assessment survey was completed by someone designated to be that ED leadership role. And previous assessments were completed by a medical director that was in 2003, and then an ED nurse manager in 2013. For the most recent assessment, do you know who completed the survey? Because sometimes there's a perception that leadership may be a bit removed from the day-to-day operations of the emergency department. And so do you think that people completing the assessment provided an accurate representation Or do you think there's a possibility that there is some disconnect or even some Hawthorne effect at play? First of all, we did try to look at this. The assessment pre-notice was sent to ED nurse managers and medical directors to try to engage leadership. We generally, overall, uh, the large majority of our respondents are ED nurse managers that were uh, side by side with the ED medical director to get this information. And From what we can tell by the titles that people use to identify themselves when filling out the assessment, again, most were filled out by nurses. Generally, that's going to be nursing leadership, ED nurse manager, charge nurse. Sometimes it would be CNO or chief nursing officer. And then some medical directors did fill them out as well. And again, we messaged pretty clearly that we wanted the nursing leadership and ED medical director leadership to work together to review the, there was a PDF copy that you could print beforehand so that you could work ahead of time to have the answers and to accurately record the answers. I would say it is most accurate or pretty accurate representation of pediatric readiness However, the degree of penetrance or the the degree to which all ED staff are aware of the pediatric readiness components that are reported has really not been assessed, and that's something to look at in the future. We've had some experience with this before in 2013, and we feel that this methodology would yield the highest results. Fantastic. And thank you so much for sharing all the steps that you took to try to make your data as valid as possible. Our fourth question for you is about resource allocation. So there were a few factors cited that were associated with high readiness scores. Those included the presence of pediatric emergency care coordinators or PECs, pediatric quality improvement plans, and staffing with board certified emergency medicine or pediatric emergency medicine physicians. Now, we're in a time where resources are scarce. We're facing issues with short staffing, long wait times, boarding, 
and we're seeing a decrease in pediatric inpatient capabilities. So where do you all think we should be directing our efforts and our resources? And I'm especially interested in places that maybe see a low to medium volume of pediatric patients. I can take this one. So this is a great question. And this is something we are definitely struggling with across the country and territories as well. Uh, We know it's impossible to staff every hospital with pediatric emergency metaphysicians and pediatric trained nurses and subspecialists and have inpatient capability to keep kids for long periods of time, especially critically ill children. That's just not, it's not feasible in every hospital in the country. However, we've done a lot of research that have linked the national pediatric readiness data to patient outcomes. And we looked recently at data that examines cost of becoming pediatric ready. And these recent papers that have been published have shown that at a very reasonable cost, usually under $50 average per patient, you can pull any sized hospital into a higher quartile of readiness. And so we feel that the effort should be focused on the system, which is improving reimbursement rates for pediatric emergency care, asking hospitals and emergency departments to support pediatric emergency care coordinators, having both a nurse and physician peck with protected time to do their work. That's incredibly important because having those pediatric emergency care coordinators present are one of the biggest factors that pushes a emergency department into a higher level of readiness. And that's having that pediatric champion and that voice that's helping ensure all of these different domains of pediatric readiness are being addressed um, within that emergency department. We also believe that encouraging legislation to ensure pediatric-specific continuing education is important, building the workforce to encourage students to go into nursing and figuring out how to maintain them in nursing, providing that support for those longer careers, and then strengthening relationships between larger pediatric centers and more rural centers to provide support and facilitate efficient transfer when necessary. You know, we stated you can't put a pediatric emergency care physician in every ER, but we can help support with education and algorithms and resources and simulation and ways to boost comfort with treating pediatric patients. So one of the items that we shared within the national assessment is that we have lost over about 700 pediatric inpatient units over the last decade. If you extrapolated that to all 5,000 plus hospitals in the United States, it would more likely represent about 1,000 pediatric inpatient unit closures over the last decade. And I think this highlights the importance that every emergency department needs to be pediatric ready. We also know now from our colleague Craig Newgard out of Oregon Health Sciences University that we can look at the median time to death in the case of critically ill and injured children who present to the emergency department. And based on his work, we know that this is approximately three hours. And this, again, emphasizes the importance that every emergency department needs to be pediatric ready because we simply don't have the time to transfer those patients in order to stabilize and or resuscitate them. And so there really needs to be immediate availability of the system design and response to stabilize and resuscitate children across the United States. The additional long-term solution is to ensure that the pediatric population has equitable access to inpatient resources And that will likely require some policy changes because we know that reimbursement for Medicaid and for pediatric care is typically lower than that for adult uh, care. Advocating for increased reimbursement will allow hospitals to revive their pediatric units 
and additional encouragement of including standards related to pediatric readiness within hospital licensing and accreditation programs would go a long way to help hospital administrators and healthcare systems prioritize pediatric readiness as a critical initiative. So some short-term things that we need to do now while awaiting for the longer-term systems issues to be corrected. Question number five for you is about what's next? Now, I think there's been some progress in pediatric readiness over the time that you all have performed these assessments. So, for example, in 2003, only 6% of emergency departments surveyed had all the recommended equipment and supplies to take care of kids. Now, in contrast to this study, that number went to 59% had all the recommended equipment. So that's pretty good. However, when we talk about overall scores comparing 2013 to today, we saw a decrease in the weighted pediatric readiness score by about two points. How can we interpret this in terms of clinical significance? I think it's important to understand, and we do talk about this in the manuscript, If you look deeper at the data, we actually improved across five of the six domains of pediatric readiness that were assessed. And so we're definitely making progress over time. There's no question. As we talked about briefly before, that the main reason scores didn't increase from, say, 2013 to the current assessment and 2021 is that almost 20% of the total score is based on the presence of pediatric emergency care coordinators. This assessment was done during the COVID-19 pandemic, as we all know. We actually were supposed to roll it out in 2020, delayed it because of the incredible impact that the pandemic had on all of our frontline healthcare workers. So what we found is that many nurses who may have served as PECs or pediatric emergency care coordinators were reassigned and others left medicine. We believe that the shifting workforce very much affected an ED's ability to support the PEC role and the loss of PECs explains the minimal score change overall between 2013 and 2021. It also highlights, as both Dr. Hughes and Dr. Remick pointed out, the important need to support the role of PECs make it more formalized and ensure longevity in the role because we know that having this thought leader on site actually improves pediatric readiness. Really, had it not been for workforce losses across the healthcare landscape, I honestly believe we would have seen a significant increase in overall scores over time. When you're looking to repeat this assessment again, maybe in 10 years where do we go from here? What would you all like to see happen? And are there any changes that you're already planning to make with the assessment tool? As the joint guidelines continue to be updated, we will be making some changes to the assessment that reflect those updates. Our goal is to try to leave the majority of scored items the same so that we can better analyze changes and or improvements over time. The future is to continue the work that many researchers like Dr. Newgard and team have been able to conduct, which really links the National Pediatric Readiness Project scores to patient-level data, facility-level data, and thereby show a reduction in the mortality of children who present to emergency departments across the variety of quartiles of readiness. 
within the National Pediatric Readiness Project Steering Committee, there are many young researchers who continue to engage in this work as really even a future career path. It's also our hope that we can continue to forge partnerships with other national professional societies and accrediting bodies. Certainly the new partnership with the American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma, where they have started to mandate pediatric readiness within their verification process has been a huge win. But there's more work yet to be done in terms of those partnerships. And we need to work on policy and how we can help to improve perhaps other aspects of pediatric emergency care, like reimbursement strategies, and continue to support our policymakers and legislators in understanding the impact of this work on outcomes for children. And I would add that I would like to see some real effort to sustain the PEC role, and more importantly, make it somewhat of a mandate to have a universal presence of a PEC, at least one PEC, ideally both a nurse and physician PEC in each emergency department. There's also a few critical gaps related to pediatric continuous quality improvement and the inclusion of children in disaster plans that we'd like to address over time. And last would be a robust demonstration of our ability to meet the emergency needs of children's mental health. We know that there is a crisis across the country occurring with mental health care patients. And you mentioned long boarding times. That's probably the primary contributor to long boarding times and taking up needed space in the emergency department where we need to be caring for some of the respiratory kids. And it's not the ideal place for a child who is in a mental health care crisis. We don't anticipate any significant changes to the assessment tool in the coming years. As, as we've spoken to, we'd like to try to be consistent in how we're able to compare scores over time, although we may add some unscored questions as we try to dive deeper into some of these domains. In terms of policy, um, Dr. Remick just remarked on a few of the important policy changes we'd like to see over time, and mostly that's an ongoing national commitment to pediatric readiness resources, especially to support those lower-resourced institutions or the more rural institutions as well as policies and regulations that call for adherence to standards that will help to ensure that children have access to high-quality emergency care. And I just want to clarify um, a point here. The importance of PECs, or Pediatric Emergency Care Coordinators, seems to come up over and over and over again. Is it that this role is important not only for initiating the changes in pediatric readiness and improvement that we're seeing, but also making sure that it continues and just doesn't disappear? A couple of thoughts here. You know, one of the challenges with pediatric readiness has to do with the fact that it's relatively rare for any one emergency clinician to care for a critically ill or injured child. We know that in larger centers where there's higher volume, that that does occur. But again, for anyone, any one emergency clinician, it's really a challenge to maintain these skills. And thus, there's not the same impetus to initiate quality improvement and plans because they happen rarely. So by having somebody, so to speak, minding the store or somebody there who's attuned to pediatric issues, the PEC is actually critical to ensure that A, children are included in the quality improvement plan, that variances of care are explored and communicated with staff and staff are educated and trained such that when these rare occurrences or uncommon occurrences occur, 
the staff is ready to go. And that includes the entire healthcare team, nurses, physicians, respiratory therapists, et cetera. I would just add that the idea of a PEC is not a new concept. We see the same conceptual framework when it comes to stroke, STEMI, and trauma centers, where we have STEMI program coordinators, trauma program managers, stroke program coordinators that help to ensure that the system continues to perform at the highest level to meet the needs of those patients in particular. And that's really the same idea behind the PEC role is that this is someone who is so-called minding the store, as Marianne just said, to ensure that the needs of children are being addressed, regardless of when that child presents to the ED and who happens to be working that day. I think that context really helps. You know, the PEC role is unique to children, but conceptually already exists as we have stroke coordinators, trauma coordinators, STEMI coordinators, and really it's one additional role to help us better take care of children. Now, I will apologize. I have to take advantage that there are three of y'all here today. And so, if I may, can I ask a bonus question? We have SGEM listeners from all over the world. Do you all have any thoughts on how the United States compares to other places in the world in terms of pediatric emergency readiness? You know, in general, I think we're equal to, if not maybe in a little bit more advantageous position than most countries that have an organized emergency medical care system in place. I don't think it's fair to compare us to to places where there is not accessibility for the majority of the public to an emergency department and there's not an EMS system or pre-hospital system. But when you're looking at, at similar medical systems, I think that we are equal, if, if not above, because of the work that's been done by the EMSC program. The work we've done with this National Pediatric Readiness Project has been recognized by other countries, and currently Canada is building their own National Pediatric Readiness Project, and there are countries like Denmark that have done a remarkable job in improving pediatric readiness and making it a formalized program in their area as well. And most recently, we had people from India and Thailand reach out to us, and the group in Thailand just opened the first pediatric hospital in Thailand and used some of our resources to create their center. Yeah, I think there's other places that are interested too. Uh, There was a peds readiness project in France. I was just on a big conference uh, with Argentina. They're very, very interested in implementing in that country. I've been multiple times to the Middle East, and I know at least in the Riyadh area of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, They're very much interested in pediatric readiness. So those are just, and I know Mexico as well. So there's there's a lot of interest globally in this particular effort. And, you know, the key is to try to support them as best we can through the program. Wow, awesome. So some global reach already going on. And just as a last comment, I would say that within the Emergency Medical Services for Children, Innovation and Improvement Center, we host a number of large-scale quality improvement collaboratives that are uh, open access and free to anyone who is interested and able to join. And one of our recent collaboratives was a PEC workforce development collaborative. So really trying to support individuals from around the globe who are interested in becoming pediatric emergency care coordinators or serving as a pediatric champion within their own emergency care system. 
And we had over 1,500 individuals from around the world registered in that, from Africa to Tokyo and numerous places in between. So it's really exciting to see the growth and spread of pediatric readiness around the world. Wow. So many of the things that you all just said resonate with me. I think it speaks to our shared passion for taking care of children. It also excites me that so many of your resources are open access and that there's a focus on knowledge dissemination and knowledge translation globally. So a big kudos to your team for doing such important work. Okay, Rachel, can you comment on the author's conclusion compared to the SGM conclusion? I think we generally agree with the author's conclusions. And can you give us the SGM bottom line? There are so many opportunities to improve pediatric readiness in the emergency department. And we know that the pediatric readiness of an emergency department and hospital is directly associated with better outcomes for children. And can you resolve that case for us that you posed at the beginning of the show? You can tell your medical director that there have been national assessments performed to assess the state of pediatric readiness. These assessments have involved multiple items, including ED personnel, administration, equipment, QI, safety, and policies. You let her know that there is an assessment tool available on www.pedsready.org that is a good starting point to identify gaps and target interventions. And finally, let's talk about the clinical application here. How are you going to apply the findings of this study? So pediatric readiness is an important consideration in all emergency departments. Even if you work at a tertiary care center, the pediatric readiness of our surrounding ERs is an important factor in the care of children in our area. An assessment of pediatric readiness can be completed online, and improved pediatric readiness scores are associated with decreased mortality in ill and injured children, which is really what we're all here for. So for this last part, what are we going to tell that medical director that asked us, do we have any thoughts about how we can improve pediatric readiness in our emergency department? Now, I think the authors have made compelling arguments thus far, but I'm going to turn it over to them. What would you all say to this medical director? Well, I'm happy to take a first stab at this. Um, I would say that unless we've taken the National Pediatric Readiness Assessment, it's impossible to know how ready we really are for children, but that based on the fact that the median emergency department scores 69, that I would suggest that that's probably somewhere where we're starting from, and that the most important step we could take to begin improving our care for children is to identify pediatric emergency care coordinators, both a nurse and a physician, and demonstrate organizational commitment to that role by ensuring that those individuals have protected time to be able to do the important work of developing policies, implementing pediatric quality improvement efforts, and ensuring that staff are oriented to the equipment, supplies, and processes that we have in place to ensure their safety as well as their best outcomes. And I can leave Marianne the last word as the mother of this project, but <laughs> I would say that <laughs> I have to throw that into the podcast, yeah. but I would say for me, it comes back down to the overall goal of the National Pediatric Readiness Project. And that is to ensure that any child, anywhere they present for medical care gets the best evidence-based quality care they can. And you have to be ready to take care of the one sick kid and 
in order to be able to take care of many. And so as we talked about the research, it's that first several hours of presentation, that initial stabilization and resuscitation that's so important in the outcome of these children. And everyone wants to do their very best for a child. So I think that's what it really boils down to is is making sure that you are ready for that one sick child who might walk through the door. I'll just say that, first of all, you can take the assessment at any time. So go to www.pedsready.org. You'll get a score for your ED, as well as for like hospitals with similar volume. And then you'll get a gap analysis, which is really cool. And it outlines the gaps that you need to really improve your readiness. So it's something that can be done once a year. It could be done as many times as an ED would like in order to help them with their own quality improvement initiatives. In addition, if you just uh, Google the EIIC or go to pediatricreadiness.org, it will link you to some of the toolkits and other resources that are available at the EIIC. So I think there's a lot of support. So I think if I were that medical director, I would be convinced because it seems like these tools are all at your fingertips. So with that being said, Dr. Hughes, Dr. Remick, Dr. Gauche Hill, and Dr. Hatcliffe, thank you all so much for joining SGEMPEDS. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much for having us. And before we go, can you give us the SGEM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time.